Welcome to The Bull and the Bear, a money and markets podcast. We give you the advice you need to know to make investing safe and profitable. With The Bull and the Bear podcast, you'll get exclusive access to some of the top thinkers, analysts, advisors, and gurus in the investment business. And now for your hosts, Matt Clark and Charles Sizemore. And welcome to another episode of the Bull and the Bear podcast here on MoneyandMarkets.com. I'm Matt Clark. Glad uh, glad to have you with us uh, today. It's uh, a very hot, sunny day here in South Florida. It is, I think, in the 90s and the humidity is about the same. It is, it is scorching, but it's South Florida in June, so, you know, if you, you can't really gripe. But today we're, uh, we're going to take a little bit different track. You know, over the course of, of our podcast, we've talked about a wide range of topics, whether it be um, various sectors to look at. We talked with Matt Batty Alley with Banyan Hill about oil, which is, and gold rather, which is, uh, you know, extremely popular. Uh, and, and today I kind of want to take a, a different track on something that is equally popular, but somewhat mysterious in, in, in just how it works. And in order to do that, I needed to find probably one of the best people in the game to, to talk about it. And, and I think I did that. Let me, let me lead you in before I, I, I introduce who, who we have on. But our, our guest today is with Banyan Hill Publishing. And if there's one person who knows the ins and outs about cryptocurrency, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, you name it, um, he, he knows it. I mean, you can rattle off a question and it's, it's a pretty safe bet that this guy's going to know the answer. Um, he, he's the editor of, of two different services within Banyan Hill. One is uh, the Crypto Profit Trader. Uh, this is one that shows investors how to get into um, the burgeoning market uh, fairly easy, uh, which, is, which is odd because getting into Bitcoin, you wouldn't think, is, or getting into crypto isn't really that easy, you wouldn't think. But he also uh, shows you how to safely store and, and, and secure your digital currency. Um, he's also uh, the editor of Automatic Fortunes. This is a, a, a tipping point trends kind of a, a service that looks for big developments in the market to, to trigger potential profits for investors. And uh, before that, he's uh, spent uh, now corrected two and a half decades uh, as a, uh, with a, with a uh, with trading and analyzing the financial markets. He's been a hedge fund, hedge fund, hedge fund manager. Uh, he's worked with uh, companies like Salomon Brothers, Citigroup, and Piahi Capital, which I uh, found out, interestingly, is Hawaiian for Jaws. Is that right? Is it Jaws, something like that? Um, which That's I, correct. Which I, which I thought was ironic in certain ways. But without, without further ado, I want to introduce Ian King, uh, the, the crypto, uh, you know, I, it's not just crypto. I mean, he, he has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the financial markets. It's, it's not just cryptocurrency. He's not just the crypto guy, uh, but uh, he, he has a vast, uh, a vast array of knowledge in terms of financial markets. But first off, Ian, welcome. Thank you for joining us here on The Bull and the Bear. Thanks for the introduction, Matt. Nice to uh, see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Uh, we we see each other maybe once or twice a year. <laughs> it's it's good to yeah. it, it's good to go beyond that. Uh, before I get too deep into it, I just want to remind everyone that the Bull and the Bear podcast is available on Apple Podcast. We are on Google Podcast. We are on Spotify. If you're watching this on video, obviously you're on our YouTube channel. Make sure you can uh, you click and subscribe on any of those any of those platforms. Leave us a comment. Leave us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Love to uh, love to take your comments and. Uh, uh, see uh, see how, uh, how how we're doing. Also, if you do have uh, any questions or you want to bring up any topics for us, you can email us at thebullandbear at moneyandmarkets.com. That is thebullandbear at moneyandmarkets.com. Without further ado, though, Ian, um, you know, cryptocurrency is an asset class that is somewhat mysterious. At least it is to me. I mean, I, I understand the concept of it, but it is very popular, but very little seems to be known 
about it. And it's, it's basically, it's digital currency. But my first, my, my first question to you is, can you explain in layman's terms, pretend like I'm your golden retriever and explain to me just the basic ins and outs of cryptocurrency and kind of how it has developed over the last couple of years? Sure. But before we talk about crypto, we really need to think about what era of history we're living in right now. And we're living in the information revolution, right? And if you look at the path and the trajectory of information revolution and the digital age, it follows similar steps and the path of the industrial revolution, which happened 150 years prior. With the industrial revolution, you had the locomotive engine, then you had electricity, then you had the automotive engine, and then you had all kinds of appliances that made household chores seem much simpler than they were in the 19th century. The information revolution has very similar evolutions that have happened within it. So if you look back in the 1950s, we started with these mainframe computers and there were enough computers that would fill an entire warehouse that couldn't uh, do the same type of calculations that your iPhone can do. So think about this, the computer that landed the Apollo 11 mission on the moon was 100 million times less than the iPhone that's in your pocket. So the processing power that you have in your iPhone is 100 million times more superior than the computer they used to wow. land a person on the moon for the first time in 1969. Now, so we've gone through this evolution. We had mainframe computers, then we had the PC revolution in the 90s, and then the internet came along. And so we started using the PCs that we now had in our homes and our laptops that we carried around with us to access information wherever we wanted it. And then we had another evolution where we started getting the mobile phones and smartphones that we use today. The next evolution in technology in this information age is going to be in crypto, and, and here's why. Because if you think of what the internet did, it took things in our analog world, such as music and books and mail, and made them digital. So any, I used to have, and I don't know about you, but I used to have like a thousand CDs. Oh, yeah. I had a whole wall of CDs. And oh, yeah. Many of you have had thousands of records in the past, too. I have everything now on my iPhone. And it doesn't even live on my iPhone. It lives basically in the cloud. And I have access to more music than ever in history. And so that's what the digital age really did. It took these analog things and put them in a way that we could easily access them. Now, what crypto is doing is taking those digital things and giving them value. So we understand that in the digital world, if you take a photo and you have that photo on your iPhone, you can send that photo to all of your friends, let's say 500 friends on Facebook, and they have a copy of that image, okay? Crypto is allowing digital items, the, the track of digital items. So we know exactly where that photo originated, who has ownership of it, and who owns the rights to it. So this is gonna revolutionize the way that information in the digital age is easily transferred. So instead of having a platform like Spotify, that controls the rights to music, you'll have cryptocurrency protocols that know you have to pay a certain amount to the artist and cut out the middleman of Spotify because they can track the digital rights of that digital song in a way that you couldn't before. And so I think that outside of Bitcoin and you hear about cryptocurrencies, the big story here is that it's in the next evolution in the information age going from where a, a possibility where anything digital could be copied and sent out a million times 
to now having value for something that's digital. And we're spending more and more time in the digital world. The average American spends three and a half hours on their mobile phone per day. Right. And you know, watching TV or surfing the web encompasses most of everyone's day, especially if you work in an office. And so I think this is why crypto is so important because it's the next evolution in the digital age. So, you know, let, let's talk about where things are now in terms of crypto. The, uh, you know, specifically, I mean, we can focus on Bitcoin because that is probably the most well-known. Uh, but there are several other bit, there are several other cryptocurrencies out there. In fact, I, I read somewhere, this might be in the Wall Street Journal, but you can actually create your own. I mean, if you have the, if you have the, the, the computing power to do so and the way to attach a value to it, you can create your own cryptocurrency any way, shape, or form. The challenge is, is making sure you can find value to it. You can create a currency, but if there's no value attached to it, then you've just created nothing. You've created ones and zeros. But most recently, you know, Bitcoin is halved. Uh, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong with what that means. Basically, it is halved the amount of that currency that is in the market. Is that, do I have that right? Or is that, is that maybe just like a, maybe a very elementary way of saying exactly what the halving is? You're close. So one of the uh, attractiveness of Bitcoin is that there's a finite supply. There can only be 21 million Bitcoins ever mined in existence. Now, that's not to say that you can't have other cryptocurrencies, but specifically for Bitcoin, think of it like gold. There's a finite amount of gold that's in the ground. And Bitcoin, there's a finite amount of, of Bitcoin, 21 million. And what the halving does is the amount that gets mined every 10 minutes is cut in half. And this happens about every four years. So when Bitcoin was first introduced in 2009, every 10 minutes, 50 Bitcoins entered the market. Four years later, it got cut to 25. And then four years after that, in 2016, it was cut to 12 and a half. And so now it's cut to 6.25. So you're basically reducing the amount of daily issuance. So think about if all of a sudden, all the gold that was mined in the world per day was cut in half. It would drive the price of gold higher because right. you would be adding less supply per year. Correct. But you know, 86% of Bitcoin has already been mined. There's already 18.6 million uh, Bitcoin in circulation, and we just have to, to mine the rest of 3 million, but that supply is going to continue to get reduced, or the issuance of that supply will continue to get reduced. So that has, that has you know, moved the price up, uh, you know, right now, I, uh, at last glance, I know it's over 9,000, um, depending on what exchange you're, you're using. But it, let's just say for sake of argument, it's, uh, I think it's around 95, 9,600 at one point, it may be lower, give or take a couple hundred there. But, uh, you know, at one point, and this was a couple years ago, it, you know, Bitcoin had a massive explosion, and it, it tracked, you know, in a huge way, but it paired back and paired back significantly to four or 5,000. Now it's back up to 9,000. This seems like it is extremely volatile, and I could be wrong there, and that's what I'm asking. Is, is, is crypto, is it a volatile market to get into? Yeah, I mean, every new asset class is volatile. And also, you know, in the information revolution, every time we've had a new technology, whether it be PC computers or dot conferences, the classic mania, there's been a big hype cycle where people go in and they buy the asset or the stock up and then th whatever the asset was, wasn't really ready for prime time. And that's what you saw in crypto. You had this huge mania in 2017 where the price went from like $700 of Bitcoin all the way up to 20,000. And then the next year you had a bear market, which looks a lot like the NASDAQ's pull pullback, which is about an 80% pullback between 2000 and 2002 uh, after dot-com bubble exploded. But what you're seeing now in crypto is more of a gradual rise and it's, 
being driven less by the retail investors who a lot of them got blown out and don't want to or have no taste for it and more institutions. So you're seeing a, a very similar trajectory as we saw after dot-com in about 2002, 2003, when people started coming in and picking up the pieces of Amazon, uh, Google went public around that time. And I think you know Yahoo kept going up until uh, they eventually sold uh, the company and their assets. So you know now the, it's a different type of buyer. You have more institutions that are entering the market. There was a recent survey that said 80% of institutions want to own or have exposure to the crypto markets in some form. Institutions are more discerning buyers. A retail investor will look at a market and say, I have to have this at any price. An institution is a slow moving animal. It's more you know, like an elephant. They're smarter. They do more due diligence. And when they buy things, they buy things on pullback. They buy things on the bid. They don't just go hit market, hit you know, and take the offer. Right. And so that's why I don't think we're going to see a similar mania like we had in 2017. But I think for the next five, 10 years, this asset class will outperform every major asset class in the world just because of where it is right now. The total market cap in the space is only $275 billion, And how many companies and how many different uh, segments of what we think of now uh, in the business world, it could be disrupting in the next five to 10 years, starting with decentralized finance. So what it sounds like is that the climb in 17 was, was based on, like you said, mania. But now what we're seeing in terms of, uh, of, of Bitcoin and, and even other, I think there are other cryptos that are following suit, is a more slow and steady climb which is a, a much more traditional climb in price, meaning that it is uh, perhaps more sustainable, yes? Uh, I think so, because you know when you have institutions entering the market, these are stronger-handed investors. If the market sells off a little bit, they're not you know, hitting the bids trying to get out of their position. They're looking at this from a longer-term perspective than investors who are rushing in the markets in 2017 trying to make a quick buck. Right. So I'm more constructive on the markets now that I was in 2017. You know, that's not to say when you have a bubble, like George Soros once said, when I see a bubble, I rush in and buy. That's the right thing to do mm -hmm. uh, is to go and get in the bubble, but have a smart plan with trailing stops and know how to get out right. uh, when you've made money in the bubble. I, I don't think bubbles are a bad thing. They're a great thing. You make a lot of money in the bubbles. You just have to know how to get out and have good risk management to get out of it. But, you know, I think what the way crypto is going to look going forward is I, I'm looking at the playbook of, of dot-com and what it looked like in 2003, where it had a gradual uptick. And then towards the end of the 2000s, you saw a, a sharp move up in, in Amazon's uh, and Google before the financial crisis, and then everything reset. And then, you know, you've seen these tech companies, what they've done the last 10 years, some of them are up for 10, 20 times their value of 2009. So now, you know, every, every, every stock, every traditional stock has a resistance point. There is a point to where it tests an upper and a lower level of whether it's going to continue to go up and push through that resistance or whether it's going to fall and push through that resistance. And there's a lot of analysts who suggest that crypto will be or, or Bitcoin or Ethereum will be at this level or this level or this level, somewhere as high as you know, 35,000, 40,000, I'm sure there's even more, you know, of even people that are forecasting Bitcoin going even higher than that. But right now it seems to be testing kind of a, it's coming close to a $10,000 mark. Is that a safe uh, resistance point for, for Bitcoin to be tested at this point? I mean, it's failed at that at 10,000 a couple of times in the last few months. 
psychologically, 10,000 is important, right? Because, you know, it's a nice big round number and everybody likes to make things of a round number. But uh, I, I don't, I, I think eventually 10,000 will fall. And if it gets to 12,000, I think you might start to see the investors that feel like they're missing out on Bitcoin uh, as being a traditional real asset class and having institutions allocating, you know, trillions of dollars of funds to it. It could take off again, and I've seen predictions for twenty or, or fifty thousand. Uh, but you know, you have to look at Bitcoin uh, more like gold as a store of value than anything else. It, it, it is a, a form of money. There are places you can use it as a medium of exchange. It's a unit of account. But I think a lot of people are looking at it as some form of digital gold uh, that will retain its value, especially in this day and age when you have a lot of uh, governments that are running high fiscal deficits, right. and then. They're going to be issuing debt and printing more currency. So Bitcoin could be an alternative to owning your own domestic currency if you're worried about some form of inflation. Now, if I'm a, just a standard investor and I'm listening, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm kind of interested. I, I, maybe I, I want to you know, get into Bitcoin or, or, or Ethereum or, or anything like that. Uh, give me you know, shortly a, a, an, an easy, if there is one, an easy way that I, as a as an average investor or even a rookie investor, can can invest in Bitcoin. Is there one? I mean, sure. TD Ameritrade offers Bitcoin trading. I think E Trade as well. Uh, but the best platform to use is Coinbase because you can have access to other types of assets. It's really easy to link your bank account to it. It's only available in the United States. So if you're overseas. There are other platforms uh, that you have to look into, but Coinbase, I think, is the best. They also have something. It's a really neat feature because you have to understand something about digital assets is you have you own these digital assets. If somebody was able to hack into your wallet, they could steal the value of Bitcoin from you. And one nice uh, functionality of Coinbase is they have what's called a vault. And it means that if you want to withdraw your Bitcoin, it takes a couple of days. You can set it so that it notifies you that somebody's trying to withdraw it, but it won't release it for a couple of weeks. So it gives you another layer of security if you're worried about any type of a data breach or data hack. Uh, that's what Coinbase offers. And the other thing you can do is, you know, you can hold cryptocurrency on basically a thumb drive that you can plug into your computer. So you can take the digital asset off your computer or anything that's connected to the internet, and then you can stick that that thumb drive into a safe. Um, so that's another way to uh, store your cryptos. And how much you know? How much computing power do I need to mine? I mean, can I use my laptop to mine to mine crypto? Does that even is that even feasible? That's a great question. You know, there are some cryptocurrencies that you could still use your laptop to. A Bitcoin, not in particular. The the mining process in Bitcoin is controlled by very large mining groups that have the specialized uh, graphical GPUs, graphical processing units uh, called ant miners. And they run about three to $4,000 a pop. Um, and you, know, you probably would never be able to mine a Bitcoin, but what you could do is you buy one of these mining rigs and you pool it. So you connect with thousands of other people that have a similar mining rig. And then if once your, your pool actually receives a Bitcoin, they distribute it evenly. But, it's not really a great value proposition for the individual investor. Um, there's another type of consensus mechanism, and I don't know how far in the weeds you want to go with this. So there's mining, which is a proof of work. It's a basically way that they stabilize the internet, ensure, uh, stabilize the network and ensure security. But there's also proof of stake. And what that is, is basically if you own certain tokens, 
you can stake those and get what's equivalent to a dividend payment on them. So the big news in Ethereum this year is they're moving from a proof of work consensus algorithm, which uses those mining rigs that I'm telling you about, to a proof of stake, in which case you just have to own Ethereum and then you can go to a website, stake your coins on the internet, and they're used to validate transactions within the Ethereum network, and you can get paid a dividend on it. So it's a really exciting thing that's happening, especially in Ethereum this year, and a really exciting thing for crypto because it allows you to speed up and have more transactions because you don't have to wait for all these mining rigs to process everything. Everything is done by people staking their interest in it, and you're, no one's incentivized to beat the network because you'll lose your tokens uh, if there are errors in the network. Interesting, interesting concept. I had not heard of that. That is, that is actually very interesting to, to probe for a later time. One last parting shot here, Ian, and, I, I, you know, and I'm going to pick your brain here. Is there any point in time that you can see cryptocurrency of any kind, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever it is, does it replace paper money? You know, that's a great question. And uh, who who knows, right? I mean, we're all really worried about what's happening right now in the U.S. debt to GDP over 100% for the first time since the 1950s. And every other country in the world is spending ungodly amounts of money trying to revamp their economies after the coronavirus, you know, rocked the global economy earlier this year. I don't know. I mean, there's obviously a path that it can be... Uh, a, a, a use case in, right. in the world. And, and, but I think that central banks are going to start printing their own digital currencies. You're already seeing this in China, and there's been a bunch of white papers dropped in the U.S. So I don't think we're going to have paper money in five years uh, for reasons. There's space-time issues with paper money. If I have to pay someone in cash, I actually have to physically be present. Right. And the whole world is going digital as part of the information revolution. So there's a difference between will – Digital currencies replace paper, paper money, yes. Will Bitcoin replace the U.S. dollar anytime soon? I think that, that really remains to be seen. But you know, you can hedge that bet by owning a small percentage of Bitcoin and gold uh, as a hedge against your domestic currency, whether it be U.S. dollars or euros or, or Japanese yen or yuan. So I think that is a, a really good value proposition for owning some type of alternate currency that's not tied to any central bank or any central government. Interesting take. I appreciate that. Ian King, thank you for joining us here on The Bull and the Bear. He is uh, with Banyan Hill Publishing. Check out his services, Automatic Fortunes and Crypto Profit Trader. They, uh, you will not go wrong if you if you get into either one of those. Go uh, check him out at BanyanHill.com. Uh, we'll have a link on the story notes to where you can uh, you can get to him as well. Uh, and I tell you what, more than just crypto, but as you can tell, uh, you know he certainly knows his crypto his cryptocurrency, and he's one of the best in the game. So, Ian, thanks for joining us and uh, appreciate your time. Thanks, uh, thanks again. We're going to do this again soon. Thanks for having me, Matt. See you soon. You bet. Uh, you've been listening to the Bull and the Bear podcast here on Money and Markets. Again, make sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts. You can check us out on uh, Google Podcasts, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio. Uh, there's a wealth of other places you can you can find us, more than I can possibly name. Uh, but also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and type in the Bull and the Bear podcast, and uh, you'll see our little green logo. Uh, you can check out all of our old uh, our previous podcasts. We've got uh, other videos that we're going to be putting up as well as part of the Money and Markets, uh, Money and Markets team. So make sure you check Check those out. Uh, we'll be on again very, very soon. We'll be talking with uh, contributor Charles Sizemore and our chief investment uh, strategist, Adam O'Dell. Uh, we're going to have some great topics coming up as well. So again, uh, for Ian King, I'm Matt Clark. You've been listening to the Bull and the Bear podcast right here on moneyandmarkets.com. 
You've been listening to The Bull and the Bear, a Money and Markets podcast. Tune in each week to hear insights on how to make investing safe and profitable for you. 